Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is me, Steffi Cohen. And Hayden Bo. And today we have the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Jordan Shallow, one of my best friends. You're welcome. In the whole wide world. This is his, what, third time on the podcast or something like Gotta that? Be, yeah. At yeah. Least. He was uh, one of our strongest content contenders for winning the award of Bad Podcast Award in 2020. Bad Podcast? What did I say? You said bad. Best Podcast <laughs> Award in 2020. Today, Jordan Hayden and I talk about how he conducts an assessment when looking at athletes or clients. We talk in depth about his skill, new skill acquisition course that I highly recommend that you check out. We talk about the importance of being the best coach in order to provide the best services for the people that you're coaching and how you can do that. We talk about the importance of mastering the fundamentals in whatever uh, industry that you're in. And finally, we talk about how to manage and organize your time to be efficient and most importantly, how to balance efficiency and fun in order to make the most of your days. I ask all of these questions to Jordan. I really admire him and I think his input is extremely valuable and I'm sure that uh, you guys will get a lot from this one. I'm really excited for you guys to listen. This episode is brought to you by Stay Classy Meets. Uh, remember that you can use the code HYBRID in all caps in order to get 10% off your next order. Stay Classy Meats is an athlete-focused company who knows that we require the best quality protein. Stay Classy Meat curates quality specialty meat from small batch ranchers and processors across Northern Rockies and delivers them to your door. I personally love all the wild cuts that they have, like the bison and the elk um, and the wagyu the and the steaks. tomahawks and the dried meats and what else they have? They have so much good stuff, man. They, they have really so much do. stuff like we could spend a whole podcast just naming it all. Yeah. Anyway, I really love this company and I highly recommend it to you if you're looking for a high quality meat delivery service company. Um, so since you support the show and hybrid across the board, remember we are giving you 10% off your next order with the code hybrid in all caps for stay classy meats. Sit back, relax and enjoy another episode of hybrid unlimited. So this laser pen. Yeah. I was using it with flow. You know, that was the video oh, that kind of went viral that I mirror. posted. Yeah. Where she knocked over the mirror, but I actually got a bunch of DMS from people saying that it's super not good to do that with like your pets. Really? Yeah. And I looked into it and they weren't wrong. So I was, I'm glad I only did it for that day. Well, imagine <laughs> if you didn't post it Then I would, yeah, I could have been doing it just messing her up yeah. for years. What's but, the what's the mechanism? Why is that negative? So it triggers their prey drive, and because they can't actually catch it, it's a never-ending game to them. Uh, so they just get really obsessive about light and shadows, and that was actually OCD. And get, yeah, and they can develop obsessive tendencies. Yeah. And Flo actually, since we got her, had already had those tendencies. And then I was like, you know, making her run around, <laughs> thinking, "Oh, this is so cute. She's chasing the light." Meanwhile. It's fucking her up. You're so, not exactly Caesar Milan by any I'm stretch not, of the imagination. Dude, I make this is why I say we're not we're not ready to have kids. I make so many poor decisions when it comes to the well being <laughs> of our animals. 
I forget them places. Yeah. I like forget to fe- feed them the wrong thing. No, I, I feed them always. I don't forget to feed them, but I definitely feed them the wrong, feed thing. Them the wrong thing. Like, what are we talking like dark chocolate? Like, where are we going? Not with that bad, but I mean, like, we've... I'll think things are okay. And right. Steph has actually a really good handle on it. She'd be, you'd be a great mom. Yeah. Like, for example, but... <laughs> he gave Dexter when he was a puppy, he gave him two cans of tuna. Right. Like canned tuna. Right. And I was like, Hayden, that's not going to go well. And you didn't believe me. So I was actually a bit frustrated because I'm like, this yeah. is a dog. They okay. eat he, whatever they can catch. So he gave him the you know? two cans of tuna. And I mean, I'm not even kidding you. Maybe 45 seconds after he if was done that, eating. If, if that. that, like maybe 30 maybe seconds, 10 seconds. 10 seconds. <laughs> he just puked everything out. Like literally you could just put it back in the can and Seal like nothing happened. Yeah. And it was super late because we, we had been out. We were in Chicago. We're staying at her mom's place, you know, so we're trying to be really careful and not wake them up. And I give the dogs the two cans of tuna and Dexter just oh. at the top of his lungs. The thing is Google exists, right? Like if there's any uncertainty, you just Google search it. But then, and then it's just easily. But yeah, but Google to me is like www.imright.com. You put your biased little search and you find whatever supports you. And then you go, yeah. see? But if you go, can't, but it's all about like how you play with the Boolean operator, right? Like if you put in salmon bad for dogs, you're only going to get, but you know, dogs, salmon. But you know what? Salmon kills dogs. It's like, okay, if that's the first thing that comes to the forefront. But like, usually it's not that, e- it's not that like cut and dry. It's usually something like, it, I'll type in, is tuna okay for dogs to eat? And then it'll be like, tuna is generally okay for dogs to eat. Right. In some scenarios, it can trick you this. You know what I mean? But here's the thing. It's like, it's when I just put up a post about it. It's like risk and certainty and uncertainty. It's like. I know, saw that picture and read the first word. And you Commented just and then kept scrolling. The first word. Yeah. I appreciate it. Commented just to show some support. I commented the first word too. So the <laughs> caption was risk and then I commented risk. Yep. Which is infinitely nicer than most of the shit you leave on my social media. <laughs> so it's like, I was actually surprised. Literally, my reaction every time you get the little notification, it's like, Steffi, can't oh, comment no. on your. It was, oh, no. <laughs> like, no, I have to get to it quick in case I need to, like, delete it or some shit. I was like, oh, fuck. What is she saying now? But it's like this idea of, like, certainty and uncertainty. You, have you heard of Nassim Taleb? He's like an economics guy. Yeah, I do know. Yeah. So, like, he has this thing with, like, certainty and uncertainty and like he talks a lot about economics a lot of shit i don't understand but he's like basically uncertainty brings with it a lot of certainty if you are uncertain if a pilot is drunk or coked out of his mind you are certainly not getting on that plane right right like if you were uncertain that the dog might throw up from it's like just don't feed him the fucking salmon right you should be for certain sure. for sure for sure but in hindsight right i see 2020 I, I see where I made the mistake with the dog or make the mistakes with the dog. I mean, I think I don't agree with that necessarily. I think that you have to take into consideration probabilities and then risk and reward. Like what is the probability that something that a negative outcome is going to happen right. given a particular scenario? And how bad is a negative and outcome? And how bad is a negative outcome? And so I would trade like, that purely in time. Because imagine if, if I didn't do things because I'm uncertain, dude, I wouldn't leave this fucking chair. Right. Yeah, because you're basically flow with the red light. Just, just OCD out like chasing something that doesn't even exist exactly. all day every so, day exactly. in my defense go on based on what you just said please don't point at me with that well it's not a gun I have to click the button for it to shine but I so here was the scenario it was super late at night we got home realized that we didn't have dog food and then the scenario is either give them something that we have in the house or with the risk of potentially them vomiting or go in the cold in the winter mm. in Chicago to 7-Eleven right. 
and find hopefully yeah. find dog food. Right. Yeah. So I think you know, I but, ri- I risked it. So here's the and, thing: the dog is still food? hungry. Right, so the Seven Eleven trip either ensued, or the dog is now hungry with less shit in its stomach. It's like, best case go scenario to... is feed him. He doesn't puke. I go to bed. Right. Maybe one can of tuna would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Maybe just just a quantity issue. You okay, know? but we'll never we, know. But do we agree with the um, the other factors playing a role in uncertainty and whether or not you make a decision? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, like it's it's big risk, big reward, mm-hmm. right? And small risk, small reward. But it's like to me, it's like looking at it in units of time. Mm-hmm. Right, like that's my biggest. I, I like as I navigate my mornings now that I have like a place that's not your fucking spare room. Oh, like when I'm actually at my home, like I get mad at myself if I'm like inefficient with my time. If I have to go back into the bathroom three times in the morning, it's like, what the fuck am I doing? Like why? I, it should be one and done. I'm in. I'm out. Right. I go in. Like sometimes I don't feel like putting my contacts in, and I just wear my glasses and around, and I have to go back into the bathroom. It's like. What the fuck are you doing, you Jerry? Like, just put your contacts in when you're in the bathroom. Get everything done uh-huh. and close the door. And that doesn't open up. Like, you don't open the bathroom until whenever you need to shower after the train. Uh-huh. And that's, like, what I started to do. Uh-huh. I want to go, definitely want to go back to the topic of efficiency. But before we move on from this topic that we are in right now, I want to know what is the biggest risk that you've ever taken? Um, like getting divorced. Marriage is very safe. I mean, I had a visa. I had a way to maintain that visa. I had, like someone who had a lot of money and no debt so that was yeah hands down by because it's like i wasn't just like leaving a person which you're familiar with and there's comfort with but i was also leaving like i was leaving certainty right it's like i'm certain this person is gonna be here every day and even that in itself is kind of like even though it's a person it's still technically in like the way your mind processes a geographical location Right. So uh-huh. it's like there's a lot of uncertainty, not only just stepping out into like an unknown, unknown traveling a bunch of places, but like not having that person is still an added element of uncertainty. So that, that's an easy one. But what was the risk exactly? Was there risk? the risk was not having any money, not having any ability to maintain a residency, not having a place to live, not knowing how I was going to be able to stay in the country, not knowing where I was going to go if I had to move back in with my parents. Like, yeah, there was a lot of like. Yeah, there was a lot of weighing out risk and reward. And that risk affected your potential ability to take risks for yourself in the future as well, right? right? Yeah. And that's the thing. You like you got to you have to make transactions on interest owing for future freedom. Right? And that's a tough thing for people to be able to like to have I don't know if discipline's the right word, but to have the foresight mm-hmm. to be able to like look, I'm going to have to do some shitty stuff now. So I can hopefully a just not have to do shitty stuff later, but maybe hopefully do cooler shit. Like, I look at it the way my parents kind of raised me. It's like every parent wants their kid to have a better life, right? So, like, I have friends from Serbia. I was talking to one of the guys here last night. He was from Macedonia. I was like, dude, some of my closest friends, like, their parents had no idea how they were going to get out of the country, but they just packed up all their shit. My buddy Igor, like, I don't know. I, I make a joke that he floated in on, like, a door from, from some boat from Serbia. And it's just like, you know, they want a better life for that. So, it's like, all right, this is going to suck. And it's, I'm sure it sucked when they showed up with the clothes on their back. Mm-hmm. Right. And like how to figure out a place to live and work and money and all this stuff. But like they're making that transaction, right? They're making that transaction on interest owing for future freedom. And that's now from 20, Jesus, almost 30 years later, they have that. Yeah. And yours paid off really well for you. Dude, last time you were here, you were just traveling. All you had was a bag. Yeah. And that was, that had been your life for how many years? Uh, almost three. Almost three. Yeah. And you've been going around planting the seeds doing all, all the right things. And now you've kind of put roots in. 
you you have a you've got a place in toronto now yeah yeah you've got a nice new whip congrats thank you thank you that's weird yeah you're doing a podcast studio yeah we're building a new studio video it's gonna be it's gonna be sick so, i'm very excited about that tell us about that yeah so wh- why what what may what why now and what are the plans for what you're doing now in toronto I just like podcasting as a medium. And I think with what we do in like the education space exclusively, it lends itself very well to building value and familiarity. And it's something up to this point that we haven't really put much effort in. It's just like, I don't know, I keep this stuff in my bag and it's like, I just hit record with my friends and I'm just lucky that I have cool friends that do cool shit and it's interesting to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that's given us like, I would say our biggest return is just in like, community and familiarity like people come up to you like oh man i listen to the podcast like oh fuck like i'm so sorry but it's it's always positive feedback i was like well i haven't really paid attention to that like it's something that i started and it entertained me Mm -hmm. so now it's like well what if i actually what if i actually i don't want to say tried because i definitely like in the moment i'm trying but what if i was like a little bit made an effort yeah made an effort like um was more proactive in my approach around the podcast like dedicating more resources to it yeah like the studio is going to be Killian and me and uh, Jordan kind of put together like basically our favorite video podcast studios and like like hired a designer and all that. Like I want it to be somewhere where people actually want to go to be on the show. Jordan's American, right? Yeah, he's from uh, Dallas, Pennsylvania. So uh, what's his plan or your plan for him with the podcast and stuff? Right. So part of the podcast build out is going to be like (laughs) is going to be like for remote. So we're going to have like a screen that allows us to interact and he's got the hardware set up there. Um, ideally, we're going to be able to get him across the border. Fingers crossed that that'll ever come to fruition. But um, Killian and I will do it kind of locally and then we'll kind of you know do it remotely with like our setup basically being built around the fact that Jordan will be hosting on a screen kind of like he was sitting in the room next to us kind of thing. Um but yeah, it's 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 such an interesting space, like with Rogan kind of branching into Spotify and Spotify really yeah. kind of proclaiming ownership over this podcast space. Like I think we're really just at the like we're really at this like the the inception of, of what podcasts are gonna be. Yeah. It's I mean it's taking over a lot of mediums and I think that it's a really unique medium, especially for people who have businesses, because the most bought in like anyone can watch a 15 second Instagram video of a lift and click like, you know, a step farther than that is like YouTube, you know, those are, you know, those are, it's a more difficult medium. People are, are more bought in if they're going to sit through a 10 minute, 15 minute YouTube video, but dude, to, to sit and listen to somebody talk for an hour plus, and that's it. Those people are really bought into what you're doing. They really either, you know, they, they really believe in what you're talking about or they identify with you as a person or what you're representing. And I feel like business wise, that's the, those are the, the best people for, for I think, for your but business. don't you think that with podcasts, they require the least kind of level of engagement and attention. Like you can play it and, you know, take a shower, you can play it and drive, you can play it and just be in the background. That's, that's but I think it's because listening is our most evolved of, of all the ways we consume media and technology, listening is the most akin with how we've actually evolved as a species, right? Like we haven't, we've only been reading for, I don't know, when was Gutenberg press? Not that long. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, it's a drop in the fucking ocean, but we've been listening forever. We've been l- seeing forever. Yeah, but it's like, you watching silent films on IG? You know, you're putting on some black and white do, stuff. Why, some people do. That's why I put subtitles on. Yeah, well, it's, I still think because it can be passively consumed, because you can do those things, right? I think it makes it, 
uh, I think there's a comfort that comes with it, right? Sure. Like hearing voices, like it's very kind of subliminal. It, it and it kind of lends to you know the the recent sort of like exp- I don't want to say explosion, but like the like Twitch and these streaming surfaces coming to power. Like I think there's really with everything sort of being decentralized now. Uh-huh. And like people moving away from, you know, I remember back in the day, the fitness industry was muscle tech. I don't know. They were selling you 78 grams of carbs with D ball in it. Whatever the fuck that was, uh, what was a cell mask? That yeah. was a product. Yeah. So you were pissing hot if you were taking cell mask, mm-hmm. but like they were like this, you know, they had Cutler and branch Warren right at the peak of it. And it's like, now kids are getting smart, right? Like, yeah. look at you guys, right? The, someone would like, it's it's the kids' turn now. Like the adults come in and like the bloated bureaucratic <laughs> infrastructures, like these monolithic things in the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. And there's I don't know. I don't want to put myself on your like your level, but there's guys like me and people like you who are just like, yeah, nah, we're good. <laughs> but a lot of that is to do with like the culture you can create, right? And you see that now. And I don't understand Twitch at all, mm-hmm. but people just want to hang out with people they like. Yeah. Right. And I think this is the closest thing to it. And I think Twitch is, and we were thinking about actually Twitch streaming, like the podcast live, um, because it, it takes away the filters, right. It takes away the, the, um, it takes away like the persuasion. It takes away, like it makes it a little bit more candid. Right? And I think too, like it's raw, it's raw, it's but a it, real conversation. Yeah. And it lets you, I think it's a real differentiator. Like I'm not saying I'm the best on podcasts, but like there's people that Number I've two. had on podcasts. Number two. And you know what? If I went head to head with fear, because <laughs> here's the thing I was, because I was in defense mode. Like I can rip people apart. If I wanted to be a total piece of shit and be a reverend and go, I could give Garrett fear a run for his money. He's <laughs> yeah, the fucking, he's the where's Waldo of powerlifting. I agree. What does he do? He's always just in the background everywhere. <laughs> it's like he he's just like this fucking assassin creed spotter, it's except so it's the easiest true. game ever. It's like, where's the skinny guy with the mustache and the big deadlift? It's like, he's behind the really strong guy. And like, I had that once with Dan. Remember when Dan pulled 900 in the cage? Yeah. And I was purposely positioning myself in a place where I didn't think I was going to be filmed. I was like out of frame in the background. And then it's now my greatest powerlifting accomplishment is yelling <laughs> from behind Dan, cheering him on. It's like, yeah, you look like you worked harder than he did. Yeah. Look, you want to see mine? It's right behind you on the left. There's Steffi pulling 545 in the same cage. There's me in the back yeah. of the camera. Hey, you know what, man? Takes a village. But I think too, like kind of back to my point is just, it's a good differentiator in the value that you can bring to someone because it's not a curated experience. Yeah. It's like, if he can, if you can sit here and have a conversation and talk about things that are pertinent to the industry you're in, you can do it in real time and reactive. Imagine what you can do with a product and service that you've actually spent time on. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I think, cause I always like, I like the podcast as a medium for that reason. Cause I know a lot of people, especially in the academic space, they hide behind like footnote citations. They hide behind being able to control their environment. It's like, dude, step up, step mm-hmm. out. There, there's a, there's yeah. a lot of people it's who so put out YouTube in. videos or Instagram content who you ask them to be on a podcast and they and, say no. And all of a sudden they're busy. Bring it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bring it. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, because you also, it takes knowing your audience, it takes knowing the content so well that you can dumb it down, mm-hmm. but it also takes like a certain tact in creating like a minimum effective force, right? Like if I'm going across the table from someone and like, they, not you, you're across the table from me right now and I wouldn't go toe to toe with you because you're too <laughs> fucking stuff. But it's like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring it to like PhD level right away. Sure. And I'm going to be like, oh, like I'll say arm bone. And if they say scapula, it's like, I'll say humerus. And I'm just going to keep doing this until they run out of knowledge. And then I'll just 
one check and then I'm done. Yeah. Right. Because if, if that's you, a really good approach. Yeah. Yeah. Minimum. Yeah. Minimum like necessary force. Because you don't want to beat them so bad they don't want to play the game. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's like one of the most things, like one of those fun things to me that I do now that I didn't before is actually listen to the podcast and appraise it. Now that I'm trying to take it more seriously, I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes like you have good guests on. I do it just to hear my friends. Like sometimes if you guys aren't around, I listen to our old podcast. Like, God, oh, wasn't that a blast? <laughs> but it's, it, there's an appraisal process, right? There's an, there's a, there's like a, a post hoc editing process that you can do. Like right now I'm talking really fast. I'll listen to this and be like, next time you're on a podcast, well, slow yeah. it the fuck down. Yeah. Right. And I think it, it helps kind of like create awareness. It helps you learn in the same way we use mirrors and stuff to learn how to train. Right. And then like, I still remember squatting with in, in boss barbell without a mirror for the first time in like 10 years. And I'm like, I don't know, squat. I had no idea. Right. I had it's no weird. idea. I was this nasally like, <laughs> like, you know, road runner talking a thousand miles an hour. And I'm like, is this thing on two times speed? I was like, oh no, that's just me. Right. And you wouldn't know unless you like actually took the time to to like listen to yourself, which is kind of yeah. awkward, but well, it helps also like in, in all areas of your life. Cause you're communicating verbally all the time, you know, and you can pick up on things. I listen to the podcast and I'm like, Oh dude, I've been saying right a lot. You know, that, that's annoying. I'm going to stop doing that. You know, it, you can pick up on mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to say, to your point about be, it being like, you know, a visual experience being powerful as well. I think I watch most of my podcasts because it, I do enjoy that. Like when I go on a, a plane, I have YouTube premium. Shouts out. You know, no big deal. <laughs> that's how I do it. <laughs> so I can download you the, the YouTube videos beforehand. So I'll download like five of my favorite podcasts and then I'll watch them mm-hmm. because I feel like on listening is one thing. And I think there's a large buy in there. And then just watching people talk is also even maybe a step above that where um, you want to see their interaction and how they're, you know, like if, if I say something witty and I stump you and then like, you see that reaction on your face. There's a different power to that than yeah. just listening as well. But man, I'm going to tell you something. The thought of entering another platform <sighs> makes me feel extremely nauseated. But I think you can, you can like, you can lay to rest some, right? Like there can be like this shedding of plot, like Facebook. I think it works because it's still linked to my Instagram. Like I'm pretty sure my Facebook page, which was at one point, something I was attempting to grow. Mm-hmm. I remember going through and like, if someone shared my video and it got liked, you can actually go through your page and invite those people who liked it that weren't following your page to follow your page. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Exactly. But like who gives a shit now? Cause yeah. it's Facebook, yeah. right? Like it's, it's such a, you know, it's, it's not cool anymore. Cause your parents no, no, are no, but, but yeah, but there is people, people in the industry that run entire businesses off sure. of like Facebook ads. Yeah. 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 Cause it just depends who your target target demographic is right. uh, because you service the platforms that have those people on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're going after females, you'd want to go on like Pinterest or some shit because it's what's a female dominated platform. Sure. Yeah. For whatever things, whatever sort of concepts are popular on Pinterest, I'm not too familiar with it, but uh, for business, Facebook is still a decent resource. You know, we, that's what, where we host all of our, our uh, coaching LinkedIn. Link LinkedIn for networking, but man, that's a tough one. And I'm I feel like LinkedIn. that's a dude. LinkedIn one. LinkedIn ads for those, and we haven't pursued it yet. But like the the cost per acquisition is a bit more expensive, mm-hmm. but your conversion rate is higher. Like you have to just pay more for the ads because they are actually because they convert so high. Right? It obviously depends on the product, right? Like if I'm trying to market to 
19 year old. It's like, I guess I got to figure out what TikTok is because everyone's just doing those dances with another person and they're pretending to like move at the same time. It's like, I can't deal with this infinite scroll of bullshit. Can you believe that people get super famous and rich from that? It used to bother me. Like it used to, honestly, when I was like not making any money, everything bothered me. But it's like <laughs> the second my bills are paid, I just, I just let it go. Yeah, and true. it's almost like a, Hey, good for you. There's no way that's going to last. Right, like homie that like steps outside the car door, the the black dude that just starts dancing for no reason, and like he's the guy who's driving the car is like hyping him up. It's like where does that go? Yeah. Where where does well, the, where you, you see some weird weird stuff on uh, on like Instagram where people accidentally pigeonhole themselves with like, and then they have to only do that. You seen some oh, of those pages? Yeah. It'll be like, uh, what's an example of one? Dude, anyone who bench presses with girls on the side of the bar. <laughs> Oh well, that that's more broad, but it's even answer. just like. Um, uh, okay, okay, I have one. The girl who does the videos about that I like about things you didn't know you needed off of Amazon. Oh yeah, and you've just got a thousand of those. Yeah, it's just things you didn't know you needed off of Amazon. That's the entire page. But at the same time, like, I mean, if you can build a business off it, yeah, I just don't know how long you can can do that for. I mean, there's unlimited things you didn't things know you. Need. you I mean, you prove you that there's Amazon. Amazon boxes showing up every day. Correct. And you definitely didn't need a lot of this shit that I no. see around yeah. here. But certainly um, no, certainly. that's true. Most of these weapons. We you bought them. 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 I'm loving this, by the way. This might, <laughs> this might find its way into my carry on. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Do you want to switch gears? Sure. Uh, I was interested. Like the last podcast we, we did huh. with you, we just yeah. kinda, we just kind of talked shit the whole time. So I thought maybe, I don't know, our listeners might want to learn something on okay. this one oh, oh. so i'm interested in your skill acquisition course and what that is because yeah. that's a new thing for you and it seemed pretty interesting yeah it's like it's i mean it's essentially learning how to learn right and, and exercise and when you start to dig deeper and spend enough time in it, it is it, it is a skill right like whether it's squatting whether it's hamstring curls whether it's bicep curls there's a skill involved to it so it's like knowing how to you know, assess for someone's baseline skill, but also understand like the skills they're attempting to learn. And how do you, how can you make anyone of any skill level learn and improve and optimize at any skill they want to perform? Right. So it, it's kind of, I mean, it's a, it's a theory sort of born out of like sort of cognitive behavioral kind of sciences and, but it's very adaptable to anything really. And that's a nice part. So it's like a trans, it's like a transferable, like kind of meta theory that allows you to kind of see how your programming exists in in like a spectrum over time, like you're here, you need to get here, right? There were governing rules in exercise programming that can sort of be overseen through this like cognitive associative autonomous, right? And this is anything from learning how to play piano to learning a new language to learning how to go from, you know, a, a goblet squat with a kettlebell to a low bar back squat or something like that, right? So there's like pieces of you know, cognitive, associative, and autonomous. Like those are the three stages of skill acquisition that sort of allow you to not like promote your client or yourself to failure too quickly and allow you to kind of put all the pieces together to allow whatever this final skill, this autonomous phase to be just that. 
right? Like when we see it so often with people like, you know, arguing about best, like one of the questions I get most often is like, what's the best cue for this, this, and this? It's like the best cue is to put them in an exercise where they can self-organize, mm-hmm. right? And if you've laid down the requisite pieces and you have like the cognitive pieces, like you know how to move, like you know what flexion, extension, rotation, like you know what all these things are. You have the associative means of like starting to put some of these base level ingredients together. And if you set someone up properly, like they should be self-organizing pretty well to perform that movement. Right. And then that just becomes a matter of like neural sharpening and practice. So a lot of people just try and jump to, and we see this in powerlifting, right? It's just like they jump to the end, like low bar squat, low bar squat. Oh, your low bar squat sucks. Your chest is falling forward. It's like, oh, you just got to squat more. It's like that, that can't be the answer, mm-hmm. right? So it, it allows people to a lot of times make like a regressive model around where they're at and having issues and start to look back into their programming and be like, okay, what am I missing in like the associative phase that's causing me to not self-organize in a way to exact this skill at a proficiency that would be you know, adequate to me. Or what, do I, what do I not know about the squat? Cognitive, like, oh shit, my knees out actually disadvantages my adductors, which are extenders of the hip. And that's why, or my pelvis is dumping forward and that's why my knees are dumping in. It's like, if you don't know that, someone says drive your knees out. It's like, well, your autonomous execution of your squat is going to look terrible because you don't have the actual cognitive basis as to what a squat should look like. Mm-hmm. Right. So it really should like the course is designed to teach coaches of like kind of all disciplines, the, 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 the graduation process and acquiring skills. Right. So you can understand where to program exercises based off whether that skill is throwing a baseball off a mound in the major leagues or whether it's, you know, learning how to back squat or something like that. It's how do you bin and categorize exercises to allow them to go into cognitive associative and autonomous phases so that you can expediently. And I think as coaches, that should be your job is to get these people here quickly, right? If you're just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what works, it's like, well, that's, you could get someone to low bar squat and have your transformation Tuesday. This is four and a half years of working with Sally. Oh, how far Sally's squat has come. It's like, dude, if you know the fuck you're doing, you do this in six and a half weeks, yeah. Yeah. right? But you did some dumb BOSU ball shit for like six months and you realized it didn't work. It's like, where's so, that? So, all right. So let's go, let's go through uh, a case study. So how would you, if we're talking about the squat, so then what would be the ideal progression? And how, in, in terms of like attacking each uh, skill acquisition stage. Right. So, I mean, a lot of it would have to be clearly defining the current state of the person, right? And that, I think, in an assessment standpoint is always, I don't want to say difficult, but it's a little too myopic. Like with squatting, for example, and that's probably one of the best examples, it's like we often use the squat as a means of assessing the squat, which sounds like, yeah, no shit, but to anyone in the know, I would think that's kind of a stupid thing to do, right? Like, oh, I watch three bodyweight squats from the front and I watch three bodyweight squats from the side. It's like, you could watch three bodyweight squats from fucking space and you're still not going to get the information you need. It's like, imagine- What is the information you need? Well, you need to know how they're organizing at the relative joints, ankles, knees, hips, thoracic spine, and shoulders. You can't see that from a squat? No, because we can hide within our wider base of support. Okay. Right? So if we think about it, like, if we're squatting with like both feet on the ground, we have a broad base of support, right? So we can hide things in our structure. Like imagine this, imagine studying for a test by just taking the test, right? And then all of a sudden the test change. Like, do you have any skills to pass the test? It's like we've all I'm sure taken assessments that allow you to retake the test. Some bullshit government, I don't know, we're applying for our driver's license renewal and service Ontario. And it's like the dumbest old website. Like I could probably build it. So then instead of that, you would try to isolate either a joint or do an an, um, 
uh, single leg exercise right. or things like that. Yeah, like what is how? Because you need to see trying to expose them. Expose them, right? And that's a really good way to put it. Because like how if if we're seeing function in a squat as an expression of function, what does that look like when we expose it? Right. So like unilateral movements are good at exposing function. Bilateral movements are good at expressing function. Right. But you can only express what you've actually been able to highlight and improve when after you've exposed it. Right. Because we'll start to see how people self like self-organize and execute movements under heavy load. Okay. I want to take a second here just to give another shout out to our sponsor, State Classy Meats. These guys, we've been using them for quite some time now, actually, long before they were uh, a sponsor on the show. And they make some of the best stuff that I have ever had. And unlike a lot of meat companies that keep it pretty basic, you can have freaking Wagyu burgers, tomahawk steaks. You can think of it, they have it, and that can arrive straight to your door. Uh, stay classy sources from ranchers who are for the animals, which means they allow the animals to graze in a stress-free environment. And if you know anything about hunting or, uh, eating meat in general, that is super important to the quality and the taste of the meat. Stay classy is also committed to keeping their meat hormone and antibiotic free. So when you get this meat, you know, you're just getting meat, you know, exactly what's in it. They cater to athletes who require the best quality products to put in their body. Nutrition is the base of our existence. The better the quality of the inputs, the less stressed out our bodies will be, and the more efficient it will run. They are all about quality, convenience, and small batch. So definitely check these guys out. Like I said, they make the best stuff. Code HYBRID in all caps will get you guys 10% off. So try some bougie burgers, try some other awesome meat, and uh, enjoy. Enjoy a little discount on us. All right, now let's get back to the episode. Thank you guys for listening. Right. So Have you ever seen somebody who fails at the assessment, like an, uh, uh, either a single leg or, or a joint-by-joint joint assessment, but then pass all the function tests? Right, yeah. So that's, I mean, we call those people athletes, right? Because there's so much more to organizing movement than just like, this is kind of like a deeper cerebellar concept, like understanding how it is the cerebellum organizes and internally creates a motion capture for your body to know where it is in space. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, think for example, like, because we know a ton of powerlifters, like can't say no one leg. Yeah. Andrew Herbert, God bless his fucking soul. Like, I don't know how he ties his shoes in the morning. Like he is the stiffest, most rigid guy who squats 970 pounds. So it is different than Francesco. Ooh. It's a race to the bottom and no one wins, but it's like, you know, it's, it's very hard to justify, but also you don't want to make law from bad cases, right? Like Andrew Herbert is what he is for a reason, right? right. He's not a normal human being. Anyone who's been around him for two minutes knows that he's also an incredible athlete, right? He's a, he probably comes from one of the most, what I would say, one of the most intense athletic like uh, athleticism dependent sports there is wrestling mm. right like your ability to be reactive your ability to be pliable right and that's like not necessarily a, a great word but I think that it really exposes like his ability to go from like relaxed to contract like dynamic movement very quickly because wrestling is is just that it's very reactive right so if we want to have a deeper conversation about like how it is people create an internal motion capture so they know where their body is it's like they can get feedback from other places 
right? So for the example, because I know what you're driving on, right? You hate the idea of single leg movements and like you and Kaplan just dive into the fucking research. But so let's, let's. I don't hate the idea of single leg movements. We hate the idea of stability. And this is where, I wish this was a video podcast. No, No, because it it comes into play. And this is why, like, this is where like the, when we start to talk about, okay, well, how is it that people can execute these movements, like a squat, for example, but they can't do like a single leg deadlift or like a stationary lunge or something like that. Our body creates an internal motion capture through three major systems that feed into the cerebellum, right? So our cerebellum is kind of like this brain that watches our brain. It's kind of just based off of like the brain stem. So you have like the medulla, the pons and the midbrain sort of like stacked up. And then behind that, we have the cerebellum. And the cerebellum is kind of constantly like in an athletic sense, our cerebellum is our master dimmer switch. So really good athletes can stay really calm when everyone else is freaking the fuck out. Like you take LeBron, you take like Sid. I'm sure if you took like Ronaldo or whoever, like Messi, whoever the good, like, I don't know. I'm stretching myself trying to find That's a third. But I think, yeah. They're, Pele. Huh? Pele. Pele. Okay. They're, they're, going, they're going to have resting heart rates that are much lower. Right in when they're actually on the field or on the ice or on the court, the resting heart rates are going to be lower than their contemporaries. Right, they're going to have a muscle tone that's going to be like you know you you work with some athletes and they're very stiff. Right, they feel very stiff. Like Chesco is a great example. He's a fucking tin man. Right, and he's very stiff, and that tells you like when we as like you know coaches or our personal trainers look at muscle tone, we think too locally. Right, we look at foam rolling and stretching and all these mobility drills. Well, there's a master switch. All of those are playing in to the master switch. And they're they're a lot of times because it makes sense to people who don't understand it, right? They they just attack different means of accessing only one small part of the cerebellum. Right. So there's the cerebellum breaks up into three divisions. There's the spinal cerebellum, the cerebrocerebellum, and the vestibular cerebellum. The inputs to all three of these help us create our internal motion capture. Right. So uh, the example I always use is like, you know how they made Smeagol in Lord of the Rings? No. No. So you know the character though, right? Yeah. Like the kind of skinny crackhead yeah, yeah. looking thing that just wants the ring. My yeah. precious. Right. Exactly. So they took an actor and this is true of any motion capture. They took the actor, they put him in like a Lycra spandex suit and it's covered in like ping pong balls looking mm-hmm. things. Right. Mm-hmm. So those ping pong balls feed into a central processor and they're allowed, they're allowing a computer to start to map where this guy's wrist is. So he can go like this and then an avatar on a computer screen can mirror where he is. That's kind of how our spinocerebellum works. Now there's a lot of inputs into our spinocerebellum. The most prominent and just prominent based off of numbers and prominent based off of speed is called muscle spindles, right? So muscle spindles are in charge of proprioception or what I would call stability, right? Adjusting for a muscle's relative length with the Golgi tendon organ to make sure that we can sort of stabilize the joint in which it crosses. This is an autonomic process. And this is where I have a problem with like the stability crowd going, well, look, muscles just contract and relax and muscles are dumb. It's like, no, they do a lot on the back end. Like my bicep, when I press overhead, those muscle spindles are, are perceiving the change in length and talking to that Golgi tendon organ. And they're doing that autonomically through this muscle spindle pathway that feeds in through the sp- cerebellum into or through the cerebellum via the spinocerebellum, mm-hmm. along with a lot of other processes, right? Like this is why some people gravitate towards Theraguns, right? Or like percussion tools. 
So we have things called Meisner's corpuscles. We have things called Ruffini endings. We think we have things called Merkel's discs, Golgi tendon organs, muscle spindles. All of these come together and they start to funnel into what's called the spinocerebellum, right? So the spinocerebellum is one way, and these are like our peripheral ping pong balls, right? Like our, our proprioceptors, our muscle spindles are the most prominent because they just move the fastest. So proprioception gets relayed by a muscle spindle to the central processor, our brain, at 120 meters per second. For comparison, fast pain moves somewhere around 30 meters per second. So it's like, wait a minute, pain, which is a trigger that our body is in danger, moves at 30 meters per second, but the wantingness of our body to know where it is moves 100 meters per second faster than that. That's probably pretty important, mm -hmm. right? Because that's telling us that, look, at any given point, we're all sitting here, we're probably not thinking what our toes are doing. Right? I know that my left foot is crossed beneath my right ankle and my big toe is crossed over my index because I can, or my, my second toe, because I can send a signal out to that ping pong ball and it can give me a very sharp image right back to me. You're right? crossing your toes? I'm crossing my toes. Why do you do that? Um, because I like getting into more flexion in my, my big toe. Unusual. Right. But you know me and this should be normal. But it's like strange so, behavior. Right. But the reason I know that, because I do a lot of single leg work where the demand of my foot to be reactive is is the highest concern of the movement. So what I'm doing is I'm making sure I have all those ping pong balls, those proprioceptors, those stabilizer muscles, although I don't like the term stabilizer muscles, but the ability for the muscles I have to resist force mm -hmm. and do so, that that pathway is very sharp. It's mm -hmm. very polished, right? So that's, that's, again, proprioception is only one system that feeds into the spinal cerebellum. Right. That's why the down regulation inhibition for foam rolling. Well, that's a deep pressure stimulus. That's different than a light touch. Mm -hmm. Knee sleeves. What is a knee sleeve? But an external ping pong ball to tell your brain where your knee is. That's light touch, different pathway. Mm -hmm. Right. So two point discrimination, all of these things, light touch, vibration, all of the heat, for example, like a lot of people like grass and therapy. It's like, mm -hmm. what are you doing? You're just locally creating heat. Well, mm -hmm. guess what? That feeds into the spinal cerebellar tract as well. Mm -hmm. When we start to look at athleticism, right? Coming back to your question of like, okay, we're, we're now stepping outside like just straight powerlifting. And why is it that some powerlifters can squat a ton of weight, but they can't do anything on one leg, mm -hmm. right? Well, because now we have two other inputs. So we have the spinal cerebellum, which has all these other pathways that lead up through the brain into the cerebellum, into the spinal cerebellum. Now we have our vestibular cerebellum. Now our vestibular cerebellum allows us to map with our eyes and our like vestibular apparatus in our inner ear, right? So for those of you who don't know, we have like a balance center in our head. It's actually like at the end of our eustachian tube in our ear. Then it's like these three sort of gyroscopic tubes, right? These canals, they have little hairs that run through them and they have these little crystals that kind of keep us balanced. If anyone's have a real bad bout of vertigo. Had that yeah. a few months back. So like benign uh, proxismal vertigo, BPPV, whatever that is. Like that's essentially like you end up with crystals on hairs and places and your body's just like, oh, like what is going on? When it, when it first happened to me, I, I laid back on the bed and it just felt like I was literally in one of those space like gyroscope things just flipping around like I yeah. couldn't stop flipping. And she actually did a PT maneuver on me that fixed it, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah, it's wild. I thought it was hocus pocus no. until she, she did it. Yeah. And I was like, I can't believe that yeah. actually worked. So the, the tensor tympani, which attaches onto your cervical spine vertebra, attaches onto the eustachian tube. So that's going to basically, if you adjust, like, if you adjust or manipulate or whatever you want to do traction, 
whatever your modality of choice is, you actually change the resting tone of that muscle and change the inner state, the state of the inner ear. But that obviously plays a huge role. Imagine if you were trying to play ice hockey, but you uh, constantly felt like you were doing backflips in a gyroscope, like they're about to send you up into space. Be a problem. It'd be a big <laughs> issue. Imagine trying to play hockey if you were blind. Right, so the vestibulo-ocular, the vestibulo-cerebellum takes into consideration inputs from the eyes and the inner ear. Mm-hmm. Right, so this helps us really create an internal mapping environment of where a body is in space. Right, so you see this with like early stage stroke rehab, where they actually start to use mirrors and manipulate like what's called desiccations or like um, where pathways cross and like motor to on one side is actually controlled by the like the opposite side of the brain. So if they use a mirror to like start to manipulate the inputs from the eyes, we can actually use one side to teach the other. Right. So like visual acuity is huge in athleticism. Like, you know, reaction. Desiccation, decerebration. Desiccating the cerebrid. No, go on. Okay. Um, so the vestibular ocular system, right? The ability to stay balanced, right, in our inner ear. And also like our ability to actually visually see. Like Tiger Woods has 40-20 vision. He's like an X-ray machine. Right. And all this that's gonna help you golf. So if if Tiger Woods has you know, a good idea, like can, can train his peripheral stability proprioception, which is going to be those like A-alpha fibers that move the muscle spindle transmission along with everything else, have the requisite inhibition from Golgi tendon organ reflexes and Meisner's corpuscles and Merkel's disc and all this other stuff, have a really good picture coming in from the outside, aka his ping pong balls are very well connected. There's no 404 forbidden page not found. There's no error messages here. Mm-hmm. If he knows that and he can map his environment visually, well, there's really only one input left. And if you're hitting two out of three, pretty polished, you're a damn good athlete. And the last one is going to be your cerebrocerebellum. And your cerebrocerebellum is, makes reference to your cerebral cortex, right? Your cerebral cortex is where you have your pre and primary motor cortex, right? And you're also your sensory input. This is basically when people start to talk about motor patterns, right? And like whether it's swinging a baseball, whether it's shooting hockey puck, whatever, the sequencing and like co-contraction of muscles to perform a task, right? We have little like think of zip files in your computer. Like if you save a bunch of shit, it like compresses into a zip file. We have zip files of movement at relative joints to perform kind of just really like odd talent, like a, like a free throw. Mm-hmm. Like a free throw is an odd organization of your wrists, your elbows, your shoulders, your ankles, whatever, right? It's just, it's a thing that purely exists for the sport of basketball. Well, imagine trying to to create that thing with your eyes closed and no tennis or no ping pong balls everywhere. Right? You can't create a very good package, but imagine if you had done something forever, mm-hmm. right? Like we all know Ed, Ed Cohn would probably be a good example, right? Ed Cohn hasn't competed in a powerlifting meet in God knows how many years. Bilateral hip replacement. Ed can still figure out a squat, right? Like after having both, he's going to have some issues because let's think about Ed's situation now. And this is transferable into sport in general. Right. Ed's going to have a mapping issue post-surgery. Right? So he's had both his hips replaced. Now, in doing so, you're going to be cutting through nerves and cutting through muscles. You're going to be taking away some of those ping pong balls. Right? So when his brain that goes, okay, cerebrocerebellum, hey, Ed, run the low bar squat program, execute that program, right? Visual acuity, balance, hopefully all things equal. And over time, that's going to decrease. Like your visual, your vision is going to go down over time. Your, your acuity is going to go down. And you could run into like vestibular issues as a consequence of just kind of getting older. But all things equal, 
Now, all of a sudden, Ed's going to have a bit of an issue because he's going to have to work on creating those, those ping pong balls at his hip again because a surgeon came through with a drill and a knife and a bunch of titanium and, and started fucking around. Is this type of neural mapping happen as well with injuries, like with, say, just like an acute injury or whatever? Even more so. I would say that's even more important. Like, I mean, we see this. We were talking about your ankle earlier, right? You guys were going for a run this morning and uh-huh. you feel like you have drop foot. Yeah. Right? But it's, it's that is because you've had, you've had several breaks to that, that ankle. Your body is missing a lot of input into the spinal cerebellum, mm-hmm. right? So you need to make up for that with your other processes. Like you're not tripping because you know how to run. Right. Right. Because you've been running since I don't know, since you were 10, whatever, and you're 28. Mm. So you have the this cerebrocerebellum can make up for the fact that we're not getting all the inputs from the spinocerebellum. Right. In a similar fashion, where like think if someone was blind, what does a cane do but give you greater levels of input mm-hmm. in through your spinal cerebellum? Because guess what's not towing the fucking company line? Your vestibulocerebellum. So we're constantly in flux of these three, almost like I don't want to say redundancy systems, but if one system shuts down, we're not paralyzed and crippled, right? Like we can, we can still move. We can still get around, right? Like if someone went blind, they still know how to walk. So the cerebrocerebellum goes, yo, we got this. We've done this before, one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. We might not have that input, but, you know, the their acuity, like you, a, a, a blind person's ability to feel like a rock under the shoe or a crack in the sidewalk that might indicate that they're getting towards a curb, right? That little break before the curb starts. So they're going to feel that through the shoe when you're not. Because mm-hmm. your vestibular, your vestibular cerebellum goes, I, I got it. I know there's cars here, mm-hmm. right? So their ability to map now has to be, so they are trying to heighten their spinocerebellar input, right? Because they don't have the vestibular cerebellar input. Right. So again, like this, is, we kind of tangented off on this cerebellar track. But I think if you're not, like, if you're talking about acquiring skill, if you're talking about unilateral movements and exercise progression, and like you really want to have a conversation around athleticism, this is the level you have to speak at. And the hard part with powerlifting training is like it just sometimes gets boiled down to reps and sets, and then people start calling themselves fucking strength coaches. It's like, right. look, like you're an athlete, you're an athlete. I'm was an athlete, right? But it's like there's a certain, and that's why I always said there's two types of powerlifters. There's powerlifters and there's athletes. And the best powerlifters in the world, guess what? They're, They're all fucking athletes. Kevin Oak, you see him running Villanova. Villanova is a no joke Div One school in the mm-hmm. states. Dan Green, male cheerleader. Mm-hmm. He's he's holding human beings with one hand. A bench press is a fucking joke, mm-hmm. right? Like soccer, hockey. Hockey, it's like we have a very, we have more inputs into our cerebellum than most, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like people who just get into powerlifting, it's like you can be blind, deaf, and dumb and figure out powerlifting. You don't need inputs. What do you do? You just squat down, stand up. That's not overcomplicated. But then powerlifting coaches get, well, you know, my, my daily undulated periodiz- periodization program and the RPE seven and a half and then all this tri It's like, what are you doing? And then so they during, try- during an assessment, do you evaluate like... I don't know, your your vestibular system, your auditory sure. system, uh, your well, visual system. In your- dealing with true athletes, absolutely. Because a lot of athletes are going to have an inability to map accurately. And that's where injuries start to compound, right? Like, I'm not going to name names, but we both know a football player in, in the NFL that's succumbed to an injury. And like when you when I'm working with him or when I was working with him, He's going to have a lot of mapping issues, mm-hmm. right? His ankle, like an abdomen, and I don't want to go any further detail, so I don't want to out him on the podcast. But one of his major issues moving forward is his ability to map his, his environment, right? I would say that his most recent injury is because his previous ankle and foot injury. 
right? Because he planted his foot in a way where he thought it was where he wanted it to be, but on camera, it was not. Mm -hmm. It was in a level of hip rotation that, of course, was going to snap an ACL, Yeah. right? So when I'm dealing with athletes and rehabbing in general, like like targeting, like, okay, hey, I want you to to put your big toe on that. Okay. And they stand on one leg and they split the big toe. It's like a mild input of instability. And then I have them, hey, you know, know, I'm not going to move it. But stand on that same leg and, and find it. All of a sudden, it's like, imagine being, so here's one. Has everyone been pulled over like for a sobriety test? Or are you familiar how sobriety tests work? And how it works. But right. I've never been pulled over for it. Well, imagine the old touch the nose trick, right? You close your eyes and touch your nose. Now, you're not touching your nose on the side of a highway with a cop looking down. It was like, you're, you know, you're hoping you don't blow over 0.8 alcohol, blood alcohol. Imagine you're running, I don't know, a sub 4, 5, 40. And you're looking down the barrel of like a strong safety and you guess what? He's about to hit you northbound on a southbound freeway and you close your eyes and you don't have a a well-adjusted map. Well, fuck, guess what? Your foot's not going to go where you think because you can't look down and see your foot because you're too worried about this guy. You're bracing for impact. If people don't realize, and it's, 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 it becomes frustrating when the conversation isn't even entertained because it's like you can be an amazing powerlifting coach and know none of this. But don't go taking West Side shit and dynamic effort days into in, into professional sports mm-hmm. right? because you have to have this deeper comprehension around how the difference between strength and athleticism, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, to answer your original question, like if it comes down to assessment, if I'm dealing with an athlete that's not a powerlifter, like I don't want to go through all this for someone that doesn't want to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. You want to just get better at squat, bench, and deadlift? Okay, here let's let's see the bare minimum criteria of stability so you don't just implode at heavy weights so your body doesn't like prioritize or organize this task in a way that's going to put too much force through a particular tissue, mm-hmm. and then. Great. Front squat for a bit, then high bar. Make sure your sequencing is okay. If I have to overcue you, I'm probably going to regress your pattern so you self-organize in a better way. I'm going to do some accessories. I'm going to, you know, hopefully put some muscle on you. And then, yeah, just go fucking squat. Do whatever. Yeah. I I can't believe I'm going to say this, but you do make some good points. We have it on record. I'm gonna I'm gonna take this memory card just so I yeah it can't be destroyed. I'll send you the sound. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. You do make some good points, like because initially when you first started talking about this whole stuff, my initial kind of jerk reaction was like, just it doesn't fucking matter, like it's too complicated. But then I went back to something a conversation that he and I have been having as of late, and that is like, oh, and I had it with you too. It's like people get so obsessed over like trying to see what other people are doing like what their methods are that they forget to go back to the fundamentals and the basics and i guess like i never personally i never um appreciated that knowledge because i've always had it right like i before i was a trainer before i was a coach i was an ex-fest student so like i had that that background and i guess i took it for granted right but i can see definitely how having a a deep and solid understanding of how things work inside the body and what, what are all the things that play a role in somebody's ability to generate movement in a coordinated manner? You know, what are all of the things that, that can go wrong or that can be addressed besides sets reps and whether or not you can balance on one foot? Like there's a lot more to it. Right. So I, I, I can appreciate like the artistry. And it has to be like, I didn't know this five years ago because I didn't have to. 
Because I was dealing with powerlifters at a boss barbell club. Not to throw shade. They're still incredible athletes at what they do. But their athleticism was too... Like this table, it is too big for the task that it performs. (laughs) Their their athleticism was actually not too much in a negative sense. But like Andrew Herbert or Dan Green, you get to watch these guys squat and deadlift. It's like, you know what would be really cool? Watching Herbert at 275 go for a double leg takedown. That'd be incredible. Like he was an NCAA Division One wrestler. It's right. like, yeah, Dan's deadlift is really cool. But what if he got really pissed and threw someone up in the air? Yeah. Right. Like his athleticism is it creates such a buffer of resiliency. Right. Because like I mean, Dan's a great example of this because Dan just gets hurt sometimes and you're like how the fuck is a guy going to return from this but he can map so well right this is why kids want to put their put or people want to put their kids in gymnastics they don't know why but they want to put them in gymnastics so they want to be better athletes it's like well, what does that do mm-hmm. it's going to sharpen all three of these systems mm-hmm. right so it's like i didn't know this and like i don't i'm not encouraging powerlifters powerlifting coaches to feel like they need to know this don't post about the spinal cerebellum but like my thing is like, i'm a huge i you guys have known me for years and you've had to put up with my bullshit and rants about people that I don't like. Um, but my biggest thing has always been... That then you went on and actually liked. Well, okay. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But my <laughs> biggest thing is always people stepping out of their lane. Yeah. Right. right. So like I worked really hard and I look, I sit at the kids table of like professional sports strength and conditioning. Like Andy O'Brien, uh, Mark Lindsay, Mark Scapatici. Mark like, Lindsay, the king. Dude, he's the goat. Like, I had a 10 minute conversation with Mark, and it, like, did, it blew my mind. And he also told me what parts of my mind were blown and how to fix them. It's like, that's how good this guy is. <laughs> right. But it's like, to be a, like, not, and like, not to be like petty or spiteful, but be, to be discounted by a community that doesn't need to know this information. And it's like, look, man, like, we're literally playing different games here. Like, this, yeah, it does not matter for powerlifting. You want to go do whatever? Then yeah, go deadlift. So it was cheating. Whatever. Go fuck yourself. Like, I don't care. But it's it's the same people that like, oh, I took my client from a, a 1,200 total to a 1,500 total. It's like, man. It's like, all right, you cannot then take that. And like, because and like, these are, it, it's hard, right? Like, athletes are very, they're very valuable commodities, which is a weird way to look at a person. But they are. And they know that. Like, they know that they, like, you have some pretty rough conversations with professional athletes because, there's a bunch of hungry kids that want that paycheck, right? And so they know what their value is worth, but they don't know this stuff, right? So like a lot of times, maybe it's just trading in social currency. Like strength coaches get athletes because they have a big following and they have a big following because they took someone from a 1,200 pound total to a 1,500 pound total. It's like that does not license you the ability to take some kid who this is all he knew to make it as like a professional athlete in like the big three sports in the in the, in the North America, like I would say hockey, baseball, Football. football basketball let's go big four and like european soccer like it kills me now as i get more into it to see strength coaches who are coming from this background without the education and taking these kids who look they and some are great student athletes like when i was at stanford you get to deal with kids who are just they're just special they're just really good at everything they can they can do an mba at one of the most prestigious schools in the world and also while keeping a 4.0 be on like a starting roster of one of the varsity teams, right? They can do that. Mm -hmm. But some guys like, man, they struggled their way through school. They had to dedicate all their time to their sport. That's what they wanted to do. And they can fall in the hands of someone that goes, all right, man, daily undulated periodization. We're going to low bar squat to a box. And it's like, what are you doing? He's like, you have no idea what you're doing to this kid's life. And it's stressful. Like 
again, as a coach or trainer of any aspect, like or in any discipline, it's like you have to have conversations with your clients. Like you're basically therapists, right? Like I know I've trained clients and like I've known about, you know, tax evasion, felony, drug charges, like a big, they tell you everything, right? But when you're dealing with pro athletes, like the only thing these kids have is that sport, mm-hmm. right? And like I, I've experienced this coming out of hockey. Like, and I wasn't even that good. Like I finished playing like tier two a in Ontario. And I was like, what am I? But I'm sure you ran into a similar situation when you came out of like power, not like out of powerlifting, but like transitioned Mm -hmm. to boxing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, shit, I'm so, this is my identity. Yeah. Right. And like, I was a nothing hockey player and I struggled. My ex-wife, she, uh, she didn't qualify for Sochi. She went to the Olympic games in Vancouver she struggled immensely coming back off that world cup tour where she didn't make it to the Olympics because she was an Olympian. Like she had a tattooed on her forearm fucking rightfully so. Like she dedicated her whole life to be one of the best, best athletes in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, it kills me on so many levels, but like just to see someone haphazardly taking on like someone's livelihood and not paying it the respect it deserves. Like, dude, you don't understand what a wrong step makes for this guy's life. It's more than just a paycheck. You can go on and with your whatever following and just find another athlete to go train and do your whatever bullshit powerlifting stuff. But it's like, it's not even the money. Like it's, it's you, like you can, you can get a job and make more money. You can't get a job and like get, get your spirit back. Right. It's, and it's like, that's why, like, and again, like I know people who are way better train coach cause they put more time into it. Right. So when people like go down this road, it's like, oh, I want to train pro athletes. It's like, you have no idea what that means. You have no idea the responsibility you're taking. Like these kids are 22, 23 years old, looking down the bare million dollar contracts. Like I have one of my guys, he's out of the league now. I worked with him in San Jose State University. He got drafted. He did three or four years in the league. And I had to have like a really rough conversation with him. He goes, dude, I don't know what I'm going to do. Right? Like he was, he was second string quarterback of a few teams. <laughs> they ended up bringing in some stud and they got cut from the roster. Couldn't make it on a practice squad anywhere in the middle of the season. And he's like, dude, I think I'm done. Mm-hmm. You ready to have that conversation? Or do you just want to talk about fucking dynamic effort work? Right? So whose who's responsibility is it in terms of uh, receiving the rent or Getting the right information and doing the right thing for you, for your sport. Whose responsibility is it? Is it the responsibility of the athlete? And how much responsibility falls in the coach? So we had a similar conversation about modalities. You know, we met this girl who, also not going to name names, but we met this girl who uh, her like therapy treatment modality was something to do with down regulation of nerves, like touching different areas of your face and then resetting things through like touch and lights and who knows what else. And, and, and the, the background on that is that she, our, our, our discussion was, is it her fault for being ignorant? Like one, is this person, if this person is coming from a good place, like they're trying to help, they think what they're doing is there's good. no malicious intent. Who, yeah. Whose fault is it? Is what if they're just unintelligent? Let's right? not use the word fault. Let's use the word responsibility. Whose responsibility Who's is it? responsible for that information being propagated? Who's responsible for that client paying that therapist money? Who's responsible for. Right. And one of my biggest pet peeves in the world is systems that are made to advocate responsibility, right? Like, my rental car broke down on the way to Tampa yesterday and I couldn't yell at anyone. And it was the most frustrating thing in the world. I got to the counter in Tampa. I rented the car in Miami. The guy goes, what the fuck do you want me to do? It's like, well, guess what, dude, you're wearing the red Ava shirt. So feel my wrath <laughs> because it's like, well, I could call corporate. It's like, I, I can't yell at an automated system. It's meant to for a zero responsibility. So my thing is because 
I mean, I'm not like the smartest person in the world, but it's like, if you want, like you have to want in your heart of hearts, like I put it on the coach, mm-hmm. right? Because I know what it takes for people to become the best in the world out of, out of sport. Right? Like I've met enough people who are literally the best in the world at what they do. I'm sitting across the table from one of them right now, mm-hmm. right? I know what it takes. They do not have the time or energy or bandwidth to also learn because what I want to do is I want to be the best in the world at what I do as a strength coach. If you can ask yourself this question and, and answer honestly, and it honestly is the tricky part that if you're using lights and poke, picking your nose, whatever the fuck, and you think this therapy is helping people, you should be able to ask yourself that question. Like every single day that you work with someone is like, am I doing everything I can to be the best in the world? Cause the, the therapist has to be and not on the same level. Like I don't want diamond tooth implants or whatever the fuck some of the guys in the NFL are doing. Like, I don't want a a Rolls Royce that matches my handbag, but I want to be the best in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. And like recognition of that is working with the best athletes in the world and making them better. Right. So I put it at the feet of the therapist because dude, I went through chiropractic college like everyone else. I graduated with 56 other kids. Right. And it's like, I don't know how many of them wake up every day and goes, how, what can I do to be the best in the world at this? If your answer is, is anything shy of I'm doing everything in my power, then don't take it on mm-hmm. because everyone wants, because people want like, they want the, they want the, they want the pitcher in the clinic with the arm around the guy who's like twice the size of him, right? And they want the credit, but it's like, no, no, no. I don't sign jersey, you know? Yeah. In the frame, I don't want none of that. I want, cause like, I want to, like I, I think of it in the same way, like almost like powerlifting, where it's like there's there's a handful of people that no one's ever heard of that I want respect from, right? Like I want to walk into a room one day and like Mike Boyle, be like I know who you are, or Eric Cressy, be like oh yeah, this guy, mm-hmm. right? Or whoever, name it, like Charles Poliquin. Like if I ever make it to heaven, Charles, <laughs> if Charles is there, I want to be like, oh fuck, like and that's the thing. If you want. You Sally, what's your bucket to give you a double tap and maybe DM you because you rub some guy's shoulders? It's like, then don't fucking do it, man. Because, like, there's so much on the line. And, like, if you're a pro athlete, like, you don't have time. Oh, yeah. Like, my buddy said, you're the dude. If you need to know, like, when to walk away. Do you think the same mentality applies if you're not necessarily treating the best in the world? You should always be trying to, I think. Like, why do anything? Why get out of bed if you're not going to try and be the best at but it? That's, that's rare. And personally, that is something that frustrated me so much about PT school and watching how other people conducted themselves in a clinic and how other people went about how much they know, how much they don't know, and just kind of like follow blindly everything that was told to them in school. Yeah. That was a that was frustrating to me. So, yeah, I can I can share that same sentiment yeah like me and killian had a conversation about this the other day and like he didn't his parents didn't care what he did he they just cared that he wanted like his he wanted to get into powerlifting so when his dad did his dad drove him to west side and bought a got a hotel and they stayed there for like three days he was like 16 years old he goes look i don't care what you do just try to just you be the best at it Mm -hmm. right and it's like i don't i don't think it's hard like i don't say like the cause the execution of it is obviously difficult there are days where you don't want to right but if you want the end result it's just like powerlifting it's just like anything it's it's just like the athletes in which you're working with you have to be on the same level of dedication as them it's not like you know and this kind of comes back to the wrist thing it's like you got to be willing to do what it takes to put yourself in a position to be able to exact that because that's what they did 
right? These kids left their, you know, backwoods fucking Louisiana town that they never left to go to some school that because a recruiter came to their house and was like, hey, man, like you've shown a lot of promise. Like you're going to come to the school and we're going to give you an education. You might have a shot at the NFL. That guy took a huge risk. He could have stayed in very known territory, right? And got a job like everyone else, but he fucking went out and he took a risk, right? And he deserves it. So if you're not going to take the same risk, don't try and be in the same conversation. So how do you think the industry, the healthcare industry, PTs, Kairos, where do you draw the line and where, how do you move away from the, this model of in like, it's almost like a not, we don't want to help. We want to cause no additional harm. Right. Yeah. So next step, because, okay, good. That obviously caused no harm. Right. You know what I mean? And they, I think they look at that more as from a liability standpoint, but if your goal is to be the best Cairo or the best BT in the world, how do you do that and still do the no harm part? Right. So like prenum non necessary is like the Latin word, the Hippocratic oath. Right. Uh So it's, and that's it. At first do no harm. And a lot of people, when they hear that, like, and, PT is as bad, if not worse, than Kairos. Is they hear that and go, okay, I'm going to do no good, right? Because right. but because they they're, everyone's too afraid. Mm-hmm. Dude, I've done shit that I probably shouldn't have done. Same. Like I took a risk because it's like, look, I think we're going to do this, and I think this is going to based off of my experience as an athlete, right? Because like something you're treating the central nervous system almost solely as a manual therapist. And if you can understand the role that emotions play in that, like, look, sometimes people just need you to do anything. I've had people literally come to me and say those words, just do anything, right? I mean, so I need to play tomorrow, just do anything. And it's like, whatever you do, like, oh, well, you know, like, there's no research on this. I don't really, it's like, no, 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 this guy needs certainty. Like, I got you in the back of my head. I'm just like, fuck. Like, but it's like, we're going to do it. Cause I know what I, I know the position I'd be in. If I came in and like, I had a game the next day that I was hurting. I didn't think I could play. The first thing I'm going to do is like, I got it, man. Like, no worries. We're, we is, got you. Yeah. We got you. Like we're going to make well, that's it. That's half the battle, right? If they believe that you got them, right? Like that's the placebo pill they need to. And one of the most strongly bought by and trust. Yeah. yeah. It's the first thing. Yeah. And the, a lot of that buy-in and trust comes from the empathy that, look, I've been there. Like, I had a guy, I don't know if I've told this story, but I had a guy reach out to me. Uh, it was August of maybe two years ago. It was right around, uh, it was during the, the U.S. Open, the tennis. And he was about to play Federer the next day, but he tore his pec. Fuck. And he got my phone number. Yeah. And I was like, show me mine. If, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. And so he, like, sent me a picture of his torn pec, and I sent him a picture of mine. Like when I deadlifted 675 in the cage, when I was bruised from my like fucking wrist to my pelvis, because I tore my pack a week earlier. And so when I told this kid that, hey, man, you're going to be fine, you could take that to the fucking bank that you're going to be fine, right? Because I had, you know, I still missing like 40% of my pack of like off the, off my tendon. But that was immediate. Like you could hear him sigh of relief over the phone. Mm-hmm. And like, I think just doing the damn thing as a therapist, like, you got to be able to come in with that empathy because like that emotion, like that, those emotions. I mean, I wake up in pain some days cause I'm having a bad day and the pain goes away when I figure my shit out. Mm-hmm. Like when you dig deep enough, you're like, Oh, like I'm feeling this way because of X, Y, or Z. Like you're introspective enough. Your pain actually goes away. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause pain is just that pain is a, an emotion. Pain is a drive state and pain is also a perception. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of people can look at pain from a very empirical standpoint and be like, well, pain science is very complicated. And blah, blah, blah. It's like, look, a fucking athlete doesn't need to hear that, right? Yeah. He's going to, like, NFL, most people don't know how NFL players actually get paid. 
So if some if a contract says like you know they're going to make nine million dollars this year, they get that nine million in seventeen weeks. If you do not play a game, you do not get that week's installment of that nine million dollars. Uh-huh. Right. So it's like, and they know, get a certain amount guaranteed. Right. 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 But it's like, people think that it's like a salary, like a teacher gets paid during the summer because they're not teaching, but they're teachers and that's their job. And so they get their paychecks like sort of spread out. It's like, no, no, no. Right. The second, the last, like you get the fuck out, you, you clean it, you go home, you clean out your locker after week 16 or 17, whatever. And you're gone. We'll talk to you at camp, maybe, unless you have, like, or we'll see you in arbitration. Yeah. It's like, I hope you got enough money because that could be the last game you ever played. Right? So they don't need this, like, well, pain science is very complicated and the empirical <laughs> evidence is uncertain. It's like, yo, bro, I got you. Yeah. That's what they need to hear. Yeah. But you got to be able to back that fucking shit up. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, a lot of people can be dumb. Like, yo, bro, I got you. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to fucking reverse band it today. And we're going <laughs> to do it to a box. It's like, no, no, no. Like I can have confidence in it because it's like, all right, when we dig deep enough, like I've gone as deep as we can go. Right. And still trying to and just the same as him. Like they like people usually get hurt because they are right on the edge. Right. They are the fastest and one like mile an hour faster. Their whole chassis is going to fucking twist. Mm-hmm. But that's where you got to kind of put yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. So but it just like they're assuming a risk like you need to be willing to assume that risk. You got to be on the same from a mindset perspective. You have to be on the same level. Mm-hmm. True. And you need the experience in order to do that, right? Which is something that most strength coaches, most therapists don't have. Right. Well, and because school is not geared towards you catering to the one percent of the one percent, it's geared towards you not hurting Nancy, who's forty and just wants to be pain free, taking her kid to soccer practice. Mm-hmm. Those are very different scenarios. But it's like. This the first the former one takes a lot of extra learning on your own, and yeah. I think that's why so few people are good at it. Yeah. So I'd like to circle back to what we started the podcast with on the topic of like excellence and and you know doing your best and preparing yourself. You know, I know you as someone who hates fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you did start talking like the first thing that I mentioned was like how you're so worried about being efficient with your time and how much it stresses you out. Right. So tell me a little bit more about that. Well, like, I mean, we've been talking about this since I got here, right? Like, cause we've been talking about relationships and friendships that we have and just like the importance of time. Right. And I think when you start to push anything to a level where you want to be the best at it, you know, you don't have time. You know, maybe we'll live to 75, 80, whatever, but it's like the window to maybe be known as the best or be the best at something is even way shorter than that. Right. Like, especially if you're an athlete or you're working with athletes, like, I don't know, I got maybe a decade as, as a, as a relevant strength coach to really try and make a mark and sort of like institute institutionalize a change that could create like somewhat of a legacy. So we, but that's in the foreground of your thought, you do get pissed that you went back three times to the bathroom in the morning. Cause it's like clocks ticking motherfucker. Like yeah. what are you doing? Put your glasses away and put your contacts in, take a shit, do whatever you gotta do. Get the fuck out of the bathroom. Cause you got, you got 10 years to maybe yeah. do what you want to do. Yeah. Right. And like, I think a lot of it, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and it's, it's not, it's, it's time, but it's also attention, right? Like, cause there are times where like, I'm not present and I'm thinking about things that are like negatively impacting my life and that's taking up my attention. Mm -hmm. So as much as I can think of like as time as an expensive, like uh, as a valuable commodity, like attention is my most 
valuable commodity. Because when I can, everybody's in so many different ways. We were talking about that earlier. It's the currency of today as well. Yeah. Well, that's my biggest frustration. So like, I don't, I'm not a big, I mean, with my athletes, I'm a metrics guy. Like we're doing blood labs and we're doing, you know, HRV and we'll do forced plate data on basically every metric we can get over time that becomes very valuable. But with me, the only metric I track is screen time. I want my phone to tell me that I'm using it as a tool and it's not using me. Mm -hmm. That's really what I focus on because I get so upset. Again, that's why I get upset with myself because it's like, the bathroom thing is kind of a stupid thing, but I literally had that thought it was like, what could I have been doing? Right. What could I have been like paying attention to? And that's why I love, I don't know. That's why I love coming here and hanging out with you guys. Cause it's like your attention is valuable. And if I can get your attention, it's like, that is such a valuable thing to me. And if I can be there with my attention, it's like this transaction is very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, it's time is valuable, but attention is like what you do with that time. Mm-hmm. Like you can show up and do something, but if you're not like aware and you're not present and you're, you're not attentive there, then your time's not valuable. Right. And go back on your fucking phone or TikTok or whatever the fuck and just keep endlessly scrolling into your grave. I don't care. Right. But it's like, yeah, it is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately because it's hard, right? Like it's hard to get to a certain level and like feel like you have to like break through to the next. And like every time you hit these like plateaus, whether it's career, whether it's training, it's like, how the fuck, like, how do I get stronger? It's Mm -hmm. like, well, how do I get more efficient? How do I get better? How do I get smarter? Right. Like I've done shit in the last couple of years and I never thought I'd do. It's like, wait, this drug's going to make me smarter? Yeah, sure. Straight to the dome. What if I did two? Well, let's, let's fucking, like, let's see sounds. Let's do it. And it's like, I was, it's a no brainer. Like yeah. for me, it was like, oh, this is going to make me smarter or allow me to retain information better or, you know, find disinteresting work that I need to do interesting, whatever, however you want to classify it. Yeah. Down the hatch. Let's go, whatever. And it's like, I was pretty averse to that stuff before, but it's like, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Yeah. And that's agree. a risk I'm willing to take. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause if the outcome is whatever you, you end up sitting around watching Fantasia for three hours and like, I was like, all right, whatever. But if, if the potential reward is like, Hey man, like I can knock out, you know, maybe 25% more productivity and what I need to get done, get that done and then move on to the next thing or read this and retain this and put this into mm-hmm. practice. It's like, man, like I just like doing shit. What, what needs to happen in a day in order for you to feel effective, efficient? Stick to the plan. There's always I, a plan. Always. I was, as I was talking earlier when I was downstairs, I was like, yeah, what's your schedule? I have yeah. my calendar up. And it's like, I just, so Google Calendar for me, the way I have it set up is like, my screen is white. And when I put in events, most of them are in blue, unless it's like a pending call and it's in tangerine. I like the color. And if I see a white fucking space in that calendar, it's like, what are you doing? Fill it with something. Even if it's because like, I always have work to do. I can go on my laptop. I can write emails, podcasts, whatever. So it's like, I need to check all the boxes, right? But then like part of that has to be, again, making the transaction for like future freedom, right? Paying the interest on that transaction. So some of it is like, I'll block off time. Like, yo, chill, mm-hmm. right? Like this trip for me was like, I'm coming off like, I don't know, five years of writing this book. Mm-hmm. Chill, right? Come out, hang, still work, but like, don't be stressed, mm-hmm. right? Because I know that's like, it's hard for me to do that, right? That's why I got to come here to do it because it's like, you guys got that down. Like you guys know how to turn up like no one I've ever met, but you also know how to turn down, mm-hmm. right? Like last night we were watching the fight and I was on my laptop for the first hour. 
people like, I could just hear like, like, what the fuck is this? Is this guy like come with a house? Like, what is this, what is this guy doing? <laughs> and I was like, look, I got to get this done. And then I closed my laptop and I was like, all right, I can be present now. And like, that's one thing that I've learned from you guys over the years. And like, yo, like you, you're going to burn yourself out. Like how many times you've told me that? How many times you told me that? And it's like, and you guys get more done than anyone I know. Like you're fucking crazy. Yeah. Not only that, I think that those periods of like not being as efficient and allowing yourself to recharge is what lets you take it up another notch on For the sure. next day or the yeah. next week. You know, it's the same as training. Yeah. You know, if you're, have you ever seen the people that don't believe in rest days? Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, I don't take rest days. And I'm like, so then you're not training hard enough. Right. Like that's the same way I see it. Sometimes mm -hmm. I see you. It's like, if you're not taking rest days, if you're just like all go all the time, I'm like, well, there's like, there's no, like, I know that when I turn it up and like, you know, I worked for a full day or two days, like I worked myself to the fucking ground. And for a fact, I won't be able to even think about anything for two days or when we have host people or have like a shit ton of content to film for an entire week, uh -huh. I'm taking the next week off. Yeah. You know? So I see it the same way. It's like, you have to have periods of time where, where you're really focused and effective and, and stick to a schedule. And then you have to allow yourself to recharge so you can do it all over again. Kind of thing. And That's I think, how I see it. I think like athleticism, it becomes more, it becomes intuitive over time. Yeah. Like if you're, in, if you're new to training, look, train for three weeks, deload for one. But if you get like, if you've been doing this for a while and you feel like, Hey man, I, that fucking last rep of that last set on my last week before my deload fucking moved. Like, all right, let's fucking go and see what's back in the tank next week. And let's yeah. look, maybe load. Sure. Like, oh, what's well, time for my deload? Like, no, no one ever got strong like that. Yeah. Right. Like, like, and again, like training with Dan, like it was very intuitive. It's like, what are you going to go for today? It's like heavy. I was like, oh, fuck. Well, that's enlightening, isn't it? Like, and you just keep putting, like, I had that feel. It's like, oh, I felt good. Yeah. So I'm going to go up. How that felt? Felt like shit. I'm going home. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like with that, like I booked this trip on a moment's notice because mm -hmm. I was, you know, I've been in the same place for longer than I'm used to. I kind of got to the end of this book and was like, Hey, what do I do next? Mm -hmm. And it's like, where do I go? It's like, well, I go, I come see you guys. Right. I get motivated as fuck. Cause you guys are moving 10,000 miles an hour. And yet you still fucking know how to like tap the brakes a bit. So the next day you can wake up and go 10,001 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Right. And that to me is so valuable. Like people don't, is in the same way, like, to kind of make the athleticism parallel, like a good athlete can pick up any sport, right? They can watch someone do something so they can yeah. use the vestibular ocular and with their cerebro cerebellar and their spinal cerebellar, they can put it together. Mm -hmm. Right. So with me, it's like, I just come here and just like, Hey guys, what you do? What you do? And it's like, and then I go back and go like, okay, let's put this together. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's always valuable. Yeah, and that's, 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 that's one of thing. my favorite parts of what we do too is you know before pandemic times we used to be able to travel around and meet all these people and uh, it was a huge part of what i think got us to where we are is picking out you pick up a little bit from every different person and nobody nails the whole picture perfectly so it's like oh i like what you did here i like what you did here you know and you know now you don't get to do it as much but luckily people like you come to us sometimes and we still get to do that but uh yeah, I totally agree with you there. I, I just have one last follow-up question about that. How do you deal with days where you don't feel like just a day where you just don't want to do what's written in your calendar? I just think of all the days that I had to. I had to do it anyways. I'm just like, I, I'm so unbelievably lucky that that could even be an option. That thinking about the days where I, I, I had to, it wasn't an option. I've never once sat back and never done anything. I couldn't, I couldn't, because that's, because I know in the days where I had to, and I did, I was paying that trans, I was paying the interest on that transaction for future freedom. So it's like, if I can do that in the times where it's easy, 
it's like, well, how much better can it get? Like in five years, where can I be if like, I don't just slack off, right? I don't just wake up and be like, oh, I'm going to hit the snooze alarm. I'm going to scroll for an hour. Like on days where I don't, I'm not mindfully aware of the three times I go into the bathroom. And it's like, it's like I like snap out of it, right? I have these little touch points where it's just like, dude, what the fuck, man? Do you want to go back to that? Like, do you want to go back to like having to be somewhere and like having to listen to like literally anyone? It's like, oh, all right, I'll sit on my laptop. But I guess I'll fucking write an Instagram post today. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? It's, yeah, no, it's, it's, it, 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 don't get me wrong. It happens. Like, you wake up those days and you don't feel like doing it, but you're just being a selfish little bitch, uh-huh. right? Like, you're just being soft. And it's like, if you've been in situations where you didn't want to and you fucking had to, then when you don't have to, you should. Right. So it's, yeah, it, it's definitely something that, especially having a place I've kind of wrestled with more lately of like, eh, this is, this is comfortable. Like I don't necessarily have to do anything today. And then I just quick reminder of like, oh man, like, man, three years ago, like if I didn't do this, like I wouldn't make enough money and like the, the trip would be over and I would just be like homeless in whatever city I was in. <laughs> right. So it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. And like sometimes the reminders aren't as, as expedient or as quick as you'd like them to be, but it's something that I just try and get better on. Like well, some now into the point where I wake up, like, uh, you like check and you get a dumb text from a person and they're just like, man, you're like, oh, you're like, I don't, don't want to do this. Now it's like, all right, it'll take like 30 minutes of like, uh, like kind of feeling sorry for myself where that used to be like, oh, whatever, I'll do it after training. And it used to be like two o'clock and I'm actually doing shit, but never could I let myself just knowing like crap I had to deal with. It's like, I'm not going back to that. Okay, Jordan, here we go. Uh, I'm not going to like this, so I... Okay. Okay. So, Is this like the, the 16 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized some, duck? Something like that. Okay. All right. This is not so, so bad. if you had to, okay. would you rather oh boy. stand naked in front of a sorority and a fraternity so they can critique your body, or you're deeply in debt to mobsters who use lightsabers? I, oh, then, I actually... I, I pledged a frat in first year of university and had to do the one on the left. Yeah, no. The you na- stood in front naked of a sorority. Yeah, and we had to sing. Um, uh, it was a song they made us like memorize. We had yeah. to perform it. No, I go. I go naked for sure. I can't remember. Yeah, you go naked. Naked. Yeah, I don't care. It's you know what hockey okay. dressing rooms. You grow up in a hockey dressing room. It's like naked's nothing. Naked's a fucking layup. And yeah. they're gonna take <laughs> pictures of you, and they're gonna be all over the internet forever. Oh, I'm sure they're already out there, anyway. Yeah, there's a subreddit thread out there. Okay, Disgruntled cool. exes or something. Okay, cool. All right. If you had to, would you rather? Oh boy. You're like in your current physical condition right. are now a starting NFL running back, or you're a genius, but you're also a goose. Well, I feel like I'm already baby smart and a goose. The running back sounds pretty cool. They got a pretty good life. Yeah, but you'll have your current skills. You won't be able to get better athletically. Like you'll just be a running back with the skills you have now. That's fine. Give me the ball. I'm, Dude, I'm like, you I'm can not fast. Barely right. Put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to be heavier up. and stronger than everyone else I come against. That's easy. Bring it on. Put me in, coach. You're looking okay. for some really okay. bad ones. Two I can more, tell. Two more. Okay. All right. Would you rather you're a billionaire? But you projectile vomit every time you spend money <laughs> or your height fluctuates by three feet every day. But it doesn't say like up or down. No, no. You could have a stint of but what, what happened. Oh, I, I could do the billionaire thing. Projectile vomit every time you spend money. Every yeah. time you spend money. So what, I mean, I guess you 
want to spend that much. They just like donate it to people. When you're that rich, people give you shit for free anyways. That's true. Right? True. Yeah. I mean, I would rather the be more a billionaire a hundred percent, dude. Yeah. And, and eventually you'll adapt, right? And like it, vomiting won't bug yeah. you that much. Dude, I mean, I used to drink a lot when I was like 16. That was basically <laughs> how it worked. You just puke and rally. Same. <laughs> okay. Would you rather, last one, relive the same day over and over again? Or... Poo from Teletubbies is po, a pimp. Poe from Teletubbies. Oh, we, we called it Poo. <laughs> oh, well, that okay. was, that's not right. Okay, Poo from Teletubbies is a pimp and you're his bottom bitch. Okay, that's easy. So one of my favorite movies is Groundhog Day. I think it's one of the most like beautiful movies ever made. So relive the same day every day. Yeah, you can relive the same day how many different ways yeah and that's the and that's the best part about the movie right is like and that's what people don't get about it people are like why why is that your favorite movie it's just like he literally because we talked about this on the last podcast like a, eternity is literally right now right like this is eternity this is what <laughs> okay this one's really oh, good Christ, you know, would you know. rather lick anything before you touch it you have to always be licking it before you touch Before it. you touch anything, you have to lick it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That or doesn't seem not egregious. Your grandma bursts into the room every time you're about to climax. Oh no, the licking thing. Yeah. I see. I have no qualms with like germs or shit. Like I don't care. You have to touch every lick everything before you touch. Well, it would just it would minimize the stuff that you don't like, need to touch. You would have, have such a strong immune system. Like raw meat, you have to lick it first. You've seen my steaks. You have to lick <laughs> your toilet paper, uh, lick the lid of a of a toilet if you're put, putting yeah, it no, up. That for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You got to lick. What was the alternative? Your grandma bursts into your room every time you're about to climax. That's a no brainer. Yeah, that's that's no good. No, I think I would go for the uh, grandma coming in as uh, when I'm what? climax. Th- that yeah. would, oh, no. eventually you'd be just used to it. You'd be like, "What's up, Granny?" <laughs> like, high five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. James. Okay, okay. Last one. Okay. Would you rather be one. sexually attracted to men, women, animals, plants, street signs, soap dispensers, and the sun, or okay. have your significant other cheat on you with your mom or dad? Oh, <laughs> the first one. Yeah, of course. He's actually a, yo. You'd be walking around with a raging boner. All right, there's like a bunch of drug jokes I could make. It's just like I've kind of lived that a few times in my life. There's been a, a couple of meat preps that have basically been that. So, soap dispenser, whatever. Like it's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. On that note. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. As always, remember to tag us at Hybrid Unlimited for a chance to win some free Hybrid Legacy swag. Always uh, make sure that you comment something about the episode that you found interesting or have a, a, an opinion about or anything else. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, I'll catch you guys next time. Bye.